Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic. Found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Frankie Quinones is a stand-up comedian and actor, best known for his character work. Frankie stars as Luis on the Hulu series This Fool, which was just picked up for a second season. He also co-starred in a web series that got bought by TBS called The Dress-Up Gang, put out his own stand-up and sketch special on HBO Max called Super Homies, and has begun recurring as Cousin Miguel on the FX on Hulu comedy What We Do in the Shadows. He also has his own podcast, The Frankie Quinones Show, presented by Will Ferrell's Big Money Players Network and iHeartRadio. Frankie joined me over Zoom to talk about creating characters such as Creeper and Emo Primo, his real-life relationship with This Fool co-star Chris Estrada, and more. If you like this conversation, please consider subscribing to my Substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com so you can read bonus commentary on this episode as well as more comedy news and insights. Thanks in advance, and now that that's out of the way, let's get to it! So, Frankie Quinones, thanks for joining me here on Last Things First. Last Things First, congratulations on both your uh, scene-stealing, show-stopping performance as Luis uh, on this pool. <laughs> I mean, it's if it feels like... I know that Chris has been on record saying he didn't write it for you specifically, but it feels like I don't know anyone else who could play this character. Oh, right. Yeah, man. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, Chris has been a longtime friend for, for damn, almost 10 years now. You know, I was always around him when he was, he was working on a show. He'd spitball about it. He, he was telling me, you know, what the process was and stuff like that. But they were more, uh, you know, looking for on the nose, like a guy that was bigger than him, tatted up, like kind of that kind of vibe. And they were having trouble finding him. And then they had had me start reading for the part. And then a couple of the producers were like, oh, man, he's making it more interesting being in this uh, Joe Pesci kind of vibe. <laughs> and the other producers and writers I've known for over 10 years also, like uh, Pat Bishop and uh, Matt Engelbretson and uh, Jake Wiseman. And, um, Those are the corporate guys, right? Yeah, yeah. They did that show, Corporate. And you were on that. They gave me a little cameo on that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so it was it was kind of cool because it, it helped that we had already kind of had a chemistry going, but... Not everybody was was on board. They were like, well, I don't know, Frankie, because they all know me as like, hey, what's up? Like positive vibes. It's kick it. You know, so they were like, oh, we need kind of like this tough dude. And then I'm like, well, you know, I kind of grew up around. I, I did grow up around guys like that. And mm-hmm. uh, I I knew I could do it. Uh, and Chris knew I could do it. And so he kind of went to bat for me and they had me start reading for the part. And slowly other people that didn't see it at first started coming on board like okay we do see it and and um you know after that it was just kind of it kind of made it fun after that because then when they started writing the actual script or the whole part of it um you know we already knew the vibe and they were kind of just throwing me alley-oops in the script where i was just like all right we go boom and then <laughs> and then um pat bishop matt engelbrist and diego velasco they directed all the episodes and they would always you know give me my takes like all right frankie we got it now you know this next one for you. Do you want another one? And they would let me have fun with it. And then in the edit, you know, they would piece them together or just use my takes or not use that. Like it was a, yeah, it was cool, man. So <laughs> you're, you're an LA native, right? 
Uh, yeah, I was born in San Fernando, uh, but I mostly grew up in Ventura County. I lived, we lived here when I was little, and then we moved to a to a Ventura County, so Oxnard, okay. Ventura, around all that area. All part uh, of the uh, Southland, as they say. Yeah, <laughs> and then uh, yeah, and I lived in San Francisco for uh, almost fifteen years. Well, that's what I want. That's what I. That's why I brought it up because it struck me as odd that you. That's where you developed as a comedian first was was Northern California in the Bay area. How did you decide to to go North first? Yeah, I was actually, I was just going to school and I have family up there a lot of, and so, um, yeah, I was, I went to uh, San Francisco state was, uh, living with a cousin of mine. And then, um, and then, you know, met a lot of friends and stuff like that. And I always knew I wanted to do stand up. And then I was working, I gra- had graduated school. I thought I was going to come back to LA right after, but I ended up staying up there. And I, I was working a shipping and receiving job. I was working at a hardware store than a shipping and receiving job after I graduated because, hey, <laughs> got to use my diploma for good use. And so I was uh, doing pallets and stuff like that. But uh, mm-hmm. but uh, a friend of mine was like, hey, I found this place was, uh, that he, he, I kept telling him I wanted to try stand-up. And I was already like about 25 at the time. And uh, okay. he goes, oh, man, I just went to this this place because he was – he we both took a uh, broadcasting and audio engineering classes in school together. He's like, this guy hired me to record him at this uh this place. You should come try it here. It's an open mic. It's called the Brainwash Cafe, and um it was like a laundromat slash cafe. It was the longest running open mic in San Francisco at the time, like like twenty one years or something. Um and so yeah, I like was all nervous. Got my little five minutes ready, and um that's the first place I ever uh, did stand up. And, um, yeah, that was about, yeah, 16 years ago now, but I went up there super nervous, did stand up for the first time. I was doing, you know, low hanging fruit jokes, like diarrhea jokes and sex jokes and stuff like that. (laughs) But, but I got some laughs and I was like, all right, I got something here. And you know, that it's, that place was a pretty cool, like Robin Williams would pop in there, Dana Carvey, like all these like legends, you know, and, uh, it was like a, a pretty cool place. They had kind of a built-in audience because people were doing their laundry. They were waiting for their clothes to dry or whatever, so they come over and watch a stand-up. And, uh, yeah, yeah, so it was cool, man. Yeah, I think I remember that was back when Last Comic Standing was a thing. In the early seasons, they would have these challenge episodes, and I think one of them was set in a laundromat. And people were like, <laughs> wait, why are you doing... Stand up in a laundromat, but then if you like really dig into it, you find out, oh yeah, there's places in California where that's actually a thing. Yeah, yeah, it's a cool system, and that, and that place, Brainwash Cafe, they actually had good food and craft beers and burgers and stuff like that. So it was a good vibe. Sadly, it's one of the many places that that's closed down in San Francisco. How did you decide it was time for you to to move back to Southern California? Um, because I. I was really, you know, and, and, and San Francisco was a great place to, to hone your craft because you get a, you get a lot more stage time there, you know, um, places like LA that's, you know, so many people move here to try to make it in that game and, and, and a lot, you know, and then they're, or they'll use stand up as an angle to get into other things like acting or something like that. And, um, where, you know, so you got, you got to, you know, you're paying your five bucks to get three, five minute sets at places or, you know, it's just like in San Francisco, it was like um, you could be three months in and be getting 10, 15 minute sets and, you know, you start getting a little gig. So I was grateful for that. But then I got into the clubs, a punchline and Cobbs, and I started doing monthlies there. And, you know, I was hustling, man. It was back when flyers were a thing. I was out flyering people with my with the homies and 
flyering like all day, you know, passing out like 10,000 flyers and have like 20 people show up, you know, <laughs> but uh, slowly it builds. And then I started getting a following there. And then you could only, you could only take it as, as far as you can, in my opinion, like in, in a place like that, because there's no industry there. So um, I started doing a, a, a show bi-monthly at the Hollywood Improv and I was coming back and down and, and um, I was like, okay, man, I think it's time to, uh, to make the move down there. And then, um, you know, cause either I got to go to LA or New York or, you know, these places to, I don't know, to, if you want to, depending what Avenue you want to take in this, this thing. So I took it as far as I could up there in San Francisco. And I was, it was, I didn't, I love it up there, but I was like, all right, time to go back home. And then I came and it was, you know, I had a, I was like sleeping on a homie's couch, busting tables. And then me and some homies, um, the dress up gang, it's a sketch group. I'm a part of, we sold a show to a TBS and that happened about, you know, we were already kind of doing stuff. So I was like, all right, maybe it's time for me to go down there. But I was, you know, I was starving artist definitely for a while, my whole time. And then, um, and then we sold that show and then that's when everything changed for me. Wait, so you were still living in the Bay area when dress up gang happened? No, no, no. I was, I was like part of their group cause we all met up there, but, um, mm-hmm. but, um, it probably happened like right when I came back down, I was, uh, I was, I lived with, uh, you know, Corey and Donnie and then we started doing that web series. They're like, Hey, you want to do this web series? I was like, yeah, you know, we're here. <laughs> we, we were, uh, in that apartment doing those, doing those little web series and it kind of caught wind. And then right. you know, absolutely productions like was like, we love this. And they started giving us a little money to keep doing the web series. And then we ended up selling the show and they, they actually built a replica of our apartment in a stage in Burbank, uh, and which was really cool, man. But then, um, this merger happened with, you know, AT&T, Time Warner. I don't know. I don't want to get too into it, but. Oh, right. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that's even crazier to, to hear that they built a replica of your apartment. Yeah. To film this show for TBS and then TBS never put it on TV. I mean, they put it, they put it on TBS.com and it might still be there. Like two but, years later. <laughs> but I, but I checked earlier today just to see, cause I remember writing about this when I wrote about Super Homie that for whatever reason you guys aren't on HBO Max which would seem like yeah dress up gang should be on HBO Max yeah man it's uh it was heartbreaking <laughs> cuz a lot of our every a lot of our peers that we saw even like big names in this industry that that saw it they were like oh my right. god that's so good it's so heartfelt and warm and ridiculous at the same time but you know it's that subtle dry humor i, I loved it but i think it would have done great but you know, things well, happen. This industry's crazy. Okay, so I still have a couple more questions about this. First question, how did you end up uh, becoming friends with Corey and Donnie to begin with? I met him at the Brainwash. Okay. The Brainwash Cafe. We were doing uh, open mics. Okay. Yeah. And uh, me and Corey kind of hit it off. And then, uh, um, you know, uh, Donnie. And then from, from out of that little cafe, I started getting a little, you know, Pay, you know, I remember I got my first pay gig, $20 mm-hmm. and three drinks. I was like, oh, baby, it's about to happen. Yeah. You know, and then you realize four years later that, oh, this is going to be a marathon. Nothing is not going to happen overnight. But right. But so, what did, so what did Turner tell you guys at the end of it when it? Ah, oh, man. I mean, you know how it is. Bro. Did it's like, you, but did they give you an explanation or what did they say? Yeah. So that they were going to launch a whole comedy 
block that was going to be their new thing, and then that merger happened, and they basically canceled that whole uh, comedy block that was going to come out. Okay, and it was just, it was it was not only our show; it was like I think four other shows. That was right uh, around the same time as Angie Tribeca. Yes, around then. Okay, and um, you know it's crazy because we we shot all ten episodes. It wasn't like a big budget show, but it was you know. We shot all 10 episodes. It was like an emotional roller coaster. Like, like it was cool and for me because we sold that show and then, you know, I was delivering a sandwich when we got the news and that was the last time I delivered sandwiches. But um, then Troll of It went viral like a month after we sold that show. So I was like, oh, dude, it's happening. And then, um, and then you know, our show was supposed to premiere mm-hmm. uh, at winter and then they were like, hold up. And all the people that were all fully on board, helped us develop it. Um, they all got, they all moved to other networks or other companies. And it was just like, it just got lost, man, and buried. And we're like, ah, oh. it was, it was so hard. Cause we're like, dude, just put it. Like, we don't care if you aired at midnight or 1 a.m. Like on Tuesday, like just put it out there. We want people to see it, you know? Right. And, uh, it's, I, yeah, it's incredible, man, that, that those things happen. But so you, so that was when you, you thought you were quitting your day job, right? Because you, you just said you delivered your last sandwich. I did, yeah. That that um, I was on my way to deliver a, a sandwich to a, the dormitories at a UCLA, like this college kid at UCLA. I'm delivering uh-huh. him a sandwich, and um, they called us and said, you know, we sold the show, and so you know, we had to get to work. We had to get to work. And so that, I almost didn't deliver the sandwich. I was like, I, I really had a moment where I was like, dude, dude should I just eat this sandwich? Should I just call it <laughs> at the door? Who was, what, what company was this with? Uh, it was like when Postmates first started. Postmates, yeah. Okay. You know, and I was like, I was really going through it at the time. Cause I had, I had got like a DUI, like whatever, like uh, years before, but uh-huh. they were like, Oh, we can't, you can't deliver food unless you get this oh, right. fun. So I had to come up with this money to get the thing expunged because I was on like good behavior for the mm-hmm. five years and then got that expunged. And I was, I was like, okay, go, I can do Postmates. And I was on that grind delivering food because I would get fired a lot from restaurants because I would bust tables, but I would, would request a lot of days off for comedy. Right. It would be like, dude, we can't get these days off. I'm like, all right. And I would just, I would just be like, dude, I'm not coming. I got to do this show. I would be honest with them. And then they'd be like, ah, we got to fire you, man. All right. Fuck. You know, and then on to the next gig. <laughs> So, okay, so the show's not, the show doesn't go, but during this process, you mentioned Cholo Fit goes viral. So that's, that's Creeper. Yeah. yeah. Was, was that Creeper's, was that through, um, Mas Mejor or who was? Yeah. What, I mean, what yeah, video yeah. was that? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we definitely did it on our own. Like, Mas Mejor was, you Is know, that- Broadway videos attempt at, like, hey, we were we're doing things for Latinos and right, uh, and um, yeah, they uh, they uh, gave us these interesting contracts, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, it was it was a character that I had was doing before Masmanok. Uh-huh. I was doing Creeper before that. Okay, um, but we did that. Yeah, we did that, and it went viral. On, on that platform, so I'm grateful for that because I was able to to sell sell tickets uh, at shows, and it was cool because a lot of people come expecting to see like, oh, a YouTuber, like that's how they knew me, or like, like they didn't know what I was gonna do, like they didn't know I had been doing stand up, right. you know, that's how I started. 
So it was kind of cool to just feel the seats and be like, bam, here's what I got. I have a real show. I'm not just going to do a Q and a or whatever. And so, yeah, yeah. So I was able to, 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 uh, you know, start making a living, uh, just touring. And then, you know, and then we got paid for the, the TBS show, even though it didn't, it never aired, but, but, uh, yeah, yeah. From there, I just kept moving. And during that time is when I took, uh, Chris, I asked Chris Estrada, I've met him at Echoes Under Sunset, an open mic that is no longer there in, uh, Echo Park. Mm-hmm. And, uh, when I started catching those, uh, gigs or getting my own weekends, I took him with me on the road. So we, we've spent a lot of time together. And, um, yeah, when Chris started working on this full, it's funny because our relationship in real life is very similar to what it is on camera in this full. Um, normally I'm like, like, hey, real nice and everything, but our relationship is the, we're talking, you know, smack to each other all the time. So mm-hmm. it kind of, kind of worked organically in that way. <laughs> was you, was your experience with dress up gang and, uh, Broadway video and all that? Was that, did that kind of make you a little, uh, cautious, Tank. more cautious? <laughs> I was going to say cautious when you're watching Chris develop this fool. And like not trying to get his hopes up or your hopes up for how oh, yeah. school is going to go. Yeah, he was because Chris and I were friends during um, that whole process as well. And, um, you know, and, and then the more and more people you meet or the more friends that I came up with that are going through similar things, it's like this business is, is very crazy and so wild. And and even to the, you know, the the whatever, the gatekeepers, executives, all that, it's like everybody's trying to keep their job or trying to do a thing, but things are always changing, you know, what people want and this and that, you know? And so, um, I always was like, all right, I was, you know, rooting him on and, and, you know, that he, it couldn't happen to a better guy. He's like such a hard worker. He's a very, he's a, like an old soul, you know, like, you know, I met him when he shortly after he started stand up, and, and he just, he's like a student. He's always like, reading, doing his research, like he knows what's up. And so, but, you know, he always knew that. I was like, yeah. And he was like, yeah, man, who knows? Like, I don't know. I'm just going to keep doing it. I was like, yeah. Cause it gets very discouraging, man. You know, especially um, trying to put our voice out there. A lot of time the industry will be like, oh my gosh, we love it. We love what you do. We need your voice, but we need you to do it this way. If you could do be not so much like, you know, and then it's like, oh, okay. Like, you know, um, and I've been asked that many times to change the stuff and this and that, but I'm like, ah, oh, man, I just got to, I just want to do what I want to do or other. I got one life to live on this planet, homie. I don't want to be like, hey, you know, <laughs> and so um, do the little song and dance to get a check. Like, I'll, uh, you know, I, I don't ever want to do that, but it worked out. I just stuck to it and da, da, da. And so did Chris. And once those, you know, the producers got on board and they, the most important thing was for that show to feel authentic. Um, and so, you know, you had, you have to pick the battles with, with the people and stuff like that. But it was like the first time that I experienced like producers, not from our community or upbringing. It's all, you know, to me, I'm like, Hey man, let's just, it's all one love. Like, let's do our thing. But they were like, very like about it. Like, Hey, let's, is this, does this feel authentic to you guys? Or would you say it like this? It was like down to the T. And so to me, like when you, when that authenticity happens, it was like, cause when I see our shit on TV, I'm always happy to see it on there, but I'm like, oh man, you, you almost had it. Like it could be some little details that were like, Ooh, some other hands might've been in here that mm-hmm. you know, don't know. And, um, 
you know, it was like, it was a, it was cool to, to see that, like them, like really caring about the authenticity. Because to me, I'm like, you could be from any background. If you see something that just feels really like real, you get kind of get, you know, you get drawn in a little more and then you can go for that ride. Cause it's like, Oh, these are just real people. Like you could be from, I don't know, a totally different place, but you're like, all right, cool. And then funny is funny in the end. And so, yeah, it was, uh, Chris was like, if you, if he saw him in the process, I would be like, I can't believe this is this guy's first time producing a show or even acting. Like he just, he was just on another level. Cause he did his research like t- to the fullest and, and the other producers on board, the homies, they were like the same, you know, Fred Armisen and Jonathan Groff are also part of the team. Those are obviously, um, you know, old school legends experienced and da da da. So they were just kind of bat, bat, bat. It's kind of how. Now, had you already made super homies before this fool? Oh man. Super homies. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. That was a, uh, thank you for your, oh man. I was like, oof. Cause I was like, oh, um, well, I, I, I only bring it up because it's, you know, it shows you, you talked about when you first took the mic at brainwash, you're doing like diarrhea jokes. And then yeah. at some point you shifted to character work, you know, like creeper is like the biggest hit character you have, but you have all these other characters. When did that shift happen for you? Um, yeah, I was, uh, so in my stand up, I do like a lot of storytelling and voices and stuff like that. So it, it naturally led into the character work and I was doing like JC and all these other characters, Pachanga. And I would do, but do there was a place called the dark room in the mission district in San Francisco. And, um, I would do my stand up and characters there. And that's when I started like developing it. So naturally it led to like, okay, I'm going to start filming sketches and doing that stuff on my, I did it, was doing it on my own. And then, um, yeah. And then, I mean, long story short, when, when Creeper who's based off my father, uh, who who was an old school cholo, but one of the most positive people I know, um, Creeper's like an extension of that. Okay. When I I really got him dialed in, cause I was, uh, this past February was 10 years since I did, creeper in videos but i got him like dialed in and polished up and really grounded and and you know even though he's like over the top like character like fitness instructor but he, like a, people that know they're like damn he feels like a real dude so he went when he went viral uh i was like oh okay well people are showing up to these shows because because of that character so i had to start developing acts you know like live acts for them and so that's when i like fully got into it. And I was like, all right, well, if they're down to see this character, I'm going to show them these other characters. And so my live show, I'll do like at least three characters and myself. Mm-hmm. I'm at it. And so, yeah, just it turned into a thing. And then I'm like, you know, sketches or, or like, a, uh, I get a lot of love from like peers and musicians and all this stuff. And, and, and that's when I started being like, Oh man, we got something here. And, and, you know, Robin Williams is one of my personal idols. And obviously he took it as far as you could go with, with character work and stuff like that. And also the show Martin, um, you know, he would do the characters in like a, you know, network sitcom, (laughs) but, uh, but yeah, yeah, just, that was like really inspiring. And it's like one of my, my personal goals is to like 
you know, eventually, hopefully take it to that level of doing like, you know, features and stuff like that mm-hmm. with characters, just like, you know, Adam Sandler's or, you know, all that stuff. You mentioned Robin being a hero of yours. And earlier you mentioned that, that he might drop in at one of the shows in San Francisco. What was it like then as a new young comedian to see your hero suddenly show up randomly at a venue? Oh man. It was, I was just like, you know, I try not to be all like, Oh my gosh, but I would get like, I was just so in awe, you know, I'm like, and then he's so, he was so nice, man. Like, He's like, he's going out of his way to be nice, you know? Yeah. Like, he, that's what he gave up, uh, or that's what he cared about. Sorry, I'm going to start cussing. <laughs> that's that's what he, it's okay. You can cuss. Oh, that's what he gave a fuck about, man. It's like, <laughs> I'm trying to be nice to motherfuckers, you know? Like, mm-hmm. and, you know, and I met him like four or five times, and it was like every time. And then one time I was going to see, um, there's a legendary LA photographer, Stefan Orio. Um, you know, he's like a LA ass dude. And I was like following him for a long time. And he was doing collaborations with the upper playground, this uh, company up in a, um, you know, they do clothing and stuff like that. R- really artsy place in uh, San Francisco and at lower hate, in the hate street area. And uh, I go there to see Esteban. He's like doing a release with them with his photos printed on shirts. And Robin Williams is there like supporting this dude. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. So it just took it to a whole nother level. I'm like, oh my God, this dude is just about dope shit. You know, like <laughs> he just knows what's up. He's cool as fuck. Just like this nice ass, fucking bright, articulate. And like, just, oh man, I love that dude, man. I love him so much. And, and I'm, every time I met him is that one time he walked up to me cause I was wearing like a, a shirt and he commented on the shirt and it was like this artsy shirt from mm-hmm. this artist. And he goes, oh, hey. You know, I know, I know that artist, like, da, da, da. And I was like, oh, hey, Robin Williams, oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm like, that energy, I just, I carry it with me, man. I think I'm so grateful that dude was on this planet for, for when he was, you know? Indeed. <laughs> so, okay. So obviously you have mixed emotions about super homies, but then you've turned it into the, the new podcast that you have, the Frankie Quinones show on iHeartRadio with Will Ferrell's network what went into that decision to to go okay so it might not have worked completely how you wanted it to as a sketch show but maybe audio can work or like what how did that happen yeah um so i was great i'm very grateful that you know in in the hbo max thing um that they let me add the sketches because the stand-up part we shot before pandemic like towards the end of 2019 okay oh it was supposed to be out the summer by the summer or spring of 2020 um but obviously that that changed right um and you know i i maybe like even rushed myself into or didn't look at all the details before stepping into that taping that um so you know i look forward to preparing and get everything's lined up and knowing that I'm going to film this special, like, you know, three months from now or four months from now. Um, that was not the process for, for super homies, but I'm grateful that I had that opportunity. Um, it was done through a third party that, that HBO max, um, you know, hired Mm -hmm. and 
uh, you know, I was kind of like, by the time it came, you know, and that it was there, like, oh, we're we're gonna put this out. I was like, oh man, that was so far back then, and it was kind of, it was, you know, the vibe was kind of, and so, and I'm, you know, we're all own worst critics. So I was watching the footage. I was like, dang, I don't want to like redo this, you know. <laughs> but <laughs> but they were like, I was like, can I add some sketches? And then, you know, I was grateful that they let me add the sketches, and mm-hmm. um, to me, that made it watchable at least. <laughs> but, but uh. Yeah, yeah, it was um, it was cool. Like we have some opportunities coming up with making a sketch show, um, but uh, when when iHeart and uh, Big Money Players and then Will Ferrell was like, which is like you know love that dude, uh, obviously a legend and stuff like that, you know, and he's like, I love these characters, man. Like they're real specific but super funny. I think people will love them like on a on a wider audience. He's like, you know, do you want to do this? Because he had a successful Ron Burgundy, uh, which is right. a character from Anchorman podcast. And so that went so big that, you know, iHeart was like, you know, they made a deal and he started his own uh, podcast company. And, um, you know, he, uh, they re- yeah, he reached out to me and was like, you know, I would, you know, what do you think about this? And I was like, oh my gosh, because the wheels had already been spinning. Um, for me to do, I was like, I want to do a podcast, but I was like, oh, everybody has a podcast, da da da. But then I got friends like Tom Segura, and he's like, no man, start a podcast. <laughs> he's like, that's no. He's oh yeah, like, Tom. Yeah, Tom and Christina, their their podcast is huge. Oh man, and they're they're great, you know, and they they show me so much love, and um, I've been on I've been on their podcast, and uh, yeah, but they're one of the people like, yeah, man, you know, like it's it's a way to get the people right to you, and so. Um, yeah, I, I wanted to do all sketches and that's so much work, you know, and it, it is like we do a lot of sketches in them. Um, cause you know, I grew up listening to Cheech and Chong tapes, Adam Sandler CDs, uh, and the Jerky Boys, even though some of that doesn't hold up, but, uh, it was like, I was it like, that was like my inspiration. And so I was like, oh, I'm gonna do sketches. And then now in this, and towards the end of the first season, we started incorporating interviews too, cause we're, I'm like, all oh, people need that too. And so, this second season, we have like interviews with some of my friends and, and, um, you know, celebrities and stuff like that. And we just, we, uh, uh, weave it into, uh, sketches that we pre-record with like sound effects and characters and stuff like that. So it's a lot of fun, man. And the fact that, you know, Will Farrell's a producer of it, it's like, it's kind of a dream come true for me. So, um, yeah, I'm very grateful for that. And it's just cool, man, that I could just put that out there have people listen to it <laughs> and i also learned through it that uh you're apparently a big fan of emo music <laughs> emo music's so lame but it makes me feel a little bit better yeah does uh i mean you know it might be too late when people listen to this podcast to really appreciate your halloween song but does emo primo have a bunch of other songs in the catalog oh yeah yeah he's got some songs man he's got a couple like on spotify and stuff like that but uh yeah, yeah, he's got he's got his one of his main songs is "Everything's Lame." Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he just talks about everything's lame or stuff like that. <laughs> Are you big on uh, on on social media still, or, or are you just focused on actual media? Yeah, you know, man, that, that's been a a learning process for me because when I started doing comedy, it was like I think MySpace had just started. I'm like showing by age. I'm 42 now, man, so it's like you know. The the Facebook and I'm grateful for all those platforms because that's where my name got out. Like right. to the Facebook, this and that, and then people were like, "Oh, you need to get on TikTok." I'm like, "Man, I already got 
all these things. Like now I got to get on TikTok, but like a year ago I did get on TikTok and now that's where I have the most followers. Like Creeper is on there and he has like, I don't know, 700 and something, 100,000 followers. And, and I, I need to get hip to it still. I need to like, mm-hmm. they're like, dude, you need to feed the algorithm and da da da. I'm like, oh, ugh. like I just want to make good shit. Like, you know, right. <laughs> it's like, so, yeah. yeah, can't you just listen to my podcast or yeah. watch watch me on This Fool or even now what we do in the shadows? What other cool stuff do you have coming coming down the pipeline? Oh man, I mean, that's pretty much it. We're pretty busy with the podcast. Um, you know, the second season of This Fool is being worked on, but yeah, I leave next week to go go out back out to Toronto for for a while to to do some more uh, what we do in the shadows. Um, so I'm excited about that, and then I'm um, touring again so it's cool like people are we were already on that grind building audiences and cities and now this full the the hulu show has added an extra layer right so it's been fun to go back on the road yeah your other experiences like you know dress up gang or this fool you're working with a lot of people that you have history with with what we do in the shadows that's a completely different thing where you're dropped into a pre-existing community of of actors and creators what's it been like for you to to get thrown into that. Oh man. With, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been cool because now like a lot of the stuff I get booked on is because people are like, you know, fans or whatever, but it, it was interesting. Like when, what we do in the, sh- the opportunity came up for that, you know, <clears throat> my reps were like, Hey, just read these lines and do it on your iPhone real quick. Just right now. And I was like, what? Like I didn't even, <laughs> I was like, all right, cool. And then three hours later, they're like, all right, you got it. Da, da, da. So I was like, whoa, what? Like, I didn't really ask, like, what the details were. And then I just go out there to Toronto and then, um, I get there, you know, and I'm like studying the shit out of my lines and making sure I know every line. My first day on set, they're like, oh, thanks for being here. And they're like, hey, do you have time? Like, Paul wants to meet you. And like, I'm like, oh shit. And I go upstairs and it's Paul Sims, who, you know, he's like a, he's done a lot of things. Like, Atlanta girls on HBO and da 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 like he's <clears throat> and he was up there and he goes oh man thank you so much for being out here we quote quote all your your cholo fit uh creep uh, videos of creeper da 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 and I'm like oh shit what like when these people know who I am I was like grateful for that and then you know and then we get to filming and the director uh, the director of my episode was uh, Kyle Newichek you know who's an old school dude he did workaholics all that. He's like, I, we did takes where I did the lines. And he pulls me aside and he's like, hey, man, like, thanks for knowing the lines. But now I, I know what you do. I'm a fan. I'm going to go do that right there. And so most of that show is just improv, man. It's like, you know, it was a lot of fun. And um, it's just a well-oiled machine, that that show. And so, and the set was just crazy. It was like Disneyland Haunted Mansion, but on crack. You know, they have like a whole construction company and da 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 they're just tearing shit down building shit it's like all spooky and crazy with little details like this boom and it was like yeah it was cool man and so i don't know i'm just grateful that people uh you know are are, are you know they 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 like me or they they want to work with me and um because i always i always lead with that with gratitude and stuff like that obviously you get on sets where there's the divas and oh no i need my just blue m&ms only or whatever it is and they don't want to talk to you and I don't be in my zone and, and that's all good too. But when you meet cool people that want to work with you and, you know, and I think in any business, you're always going to find your tribe, man. And when you meet people like that, that's when the best shit comes out. In my opinion, I'm like, yeah, let's do this. I mean, like, <laughs> so well, it, it's a, it's a, it's a testament to, to what you're doing that, that people on a critically acclaimed show want to have you 
that Gabriel Iglesias, who's selling out Dodger Stadium, wants to do Cholo Fit with you. Yeah. So <laughs> you're doing some. You're doing something right, Frankie. Oh, thank you, Sean. I appreciate that, man. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. Oh yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was post-produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music was by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. If you enjoyed listening, please check out my Substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com for transcripts, bonus commentary, and expert analysis about comedy, show business, and more. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.